Good morning, everyone. It is such a privilege to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday. My name is Tom Boone, though at Walnut Creek Presbyterian, I'm known better as Sam. I was a member and part of the youth group at Walnut Creek during the 1980s, and I'm here to tell you that my upbringing with you made me the man that I've become. I'm a pastor in ECO, uh, working as the Associate Director for Mission at the Outreach Foundation. We connect people and congregations with God's mission in 41 countries around the world. Every single day, I get to see the Holy Spirit making a difference in places throughout Europe, Pakistan, Egypt, and China, just to name a few. Devona asked me to share a prayer request, and I thank you for that. Uh, Please pray for our upcoming visit to Europe, which is May 9 through 20. We're visiting our principal church partners who are providing relief to Ukrainian refugees. We'll be visiting these refugees, mainly women and children, who live now in Spain, Lithuania, Poland, Romania, and possibly, Lord willing, going to Lviv. We want to bring encouragement, pray with these people, hear their stories, and then we're going to share their stories back with you. Now let's turn our attention to God's word, which today comes to us from Luke chapter 24. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12 in the New International Version. Listen to the word of the Lord. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Bart Garrett, the lead pastor here. It's such a delight for me uh, to welcome all of you here at Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church, whether you're here with us uh, or online or out in the simulcast. Uh, You know, today more than one out of three people on the planet are celebrating or observing the resurrection of Jesus, but it was not always so. And in order to slip into that first story for just a moment, I want to do a little bit of a thought exercise with you. And Matt mentioned uh, introverts already, so introverts, I'm sorry, we're going to make you talk just one more time in church. That's it. But I'd love for you to turn to someone beside you, and I'd love for you to tell them your favorite rock band or musician that you would love to see in concert. So take a second to do that right now. Maybe even someone new.
Okay. These, these bands have really long names, apparently. All right. So, wow, we're, we're already talking about that concert. So, so shout them out. Who do we have? What? I heard Taylor Swift. Or you too. Okay. All right. Well, so imagine for just a second uh, you are at your beloved coffee shop or a favorite pub. You're there to meet a friend and you walk in and there's not usually live music there, but there's been a, a stage set up on the side and you're not expecting live music at all. But all of a sudden, that favorite musician, so Taylor Swift, if you're one of the Swifties, or Beyonce, or, or Drake, or if you're more highbrow, uh, Yo-Yo Ma, or John Patisse, you know, your favorite musician comes, and for an hour, does this small concert. A couple dozen, hundred, a couple dozen people there, and, and you say to your friend a couple times, I cannot believe this is happening. And people start posting on social media, but in a day with all the deep fakes, the, the comments are very suspicious and very skeptical. And then those couple dozen people, a couple weeks later, they start telling this story of what happened, and even their friends are a little bit skeptical. And a couple news outlets pick it up, but in those early days, not a lot of people believe you. And that's actually a glimmer of what happened on that Sunday a couple thousand years ago, and in the subsequent weeks that followed, people slowly started believing. So I'm going to assume today, this Easter Sunday, that a lot of you who are here online are new. Maybe you're new to Christian faith or exploring Christian faith. Maybe you're new to this church. Maybe it's your first time or your second time here. And I'm going to imagine you're feeling a little bit anxious, if not afraid, about being here. Maybe you're here because you're appeasing a family member. Maybe you lost a bet. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're surprising yourself that you're here. So in deference to your newness, before we get into this story, I want to just ask and answer a couple questions. Firstly, who am I? Who is this guy? Secondly, who are all you people? And thirdly, who is Jesus? Uh, who is this guy? Well, you should know if ministers make you nervous. I was not born a minister. There were not angels attending my birth. There were no shafts of light, you know, emanating from the labor and delivery room. Uh, I'm actually a person like you who has been on a faith journey, and often I find myself riddled with doubt and, and struggling to believe. But over the years, I believe with deeper and deeper conviction. And one of my favorite authors once said that, that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it alive and moving. So like you, I am on a journey too. Well then, in deference to the newness, uh, who are all these people? Well, let me tell you, the people sitting here are intolerant, judgmental, hypocritical, overbearing, self-important. In other words, these are people that are a lot like you. <laughs> and I'm only kidding, but, but I want to dispel a myth that Christians are people who think they have it all together. In fact, Christians are people that know we don't have it all together. And we are aspiring with God's help to lead lives to collectively of, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Which leads me to the last question, who is this Jesus? 
this Holy Week, we've been exploring Jesus as humble king, as beloved friend, as suffering servant. And then today, we'll spend a few minutes in this passage looking at Jesus as resurrected God. And maybe as you look at Jesus, you may think, well, actually, maybe he's historical legend, maybe good guy, maybe wise sage, maybe moral teacher. A couple of you may think Jesus is a, is a raving lunatic, or some of you more mildly might say, well, Jesus meant well. But, but here's my big idea this morning, and I'm going to ask it in the form of a question. I'd love for you to just keep it in your mind as we go through this text. The question is this, if Jesus is the resurrected God, then how might your life change? If you come to that conviction, maybe even still with some doubt, but if you come to that conviction that Jesus is the resurrected God, then how might your life change? Yes, it's a big question. But Jim Gaffigan did say that Easter is the one day where we can put all of our eggs in the same basket. So let's do it for a few minutes. And we're actually going to just walk straight through this passage. So you're going to slip on your proverbial sandals, if you will, and step into this story. And if you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen. There are also these pew Bibles. I think it's on page 908. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, don't take those Bibles. But we have Bibles for you at the Connect table. So after the service, please come by and we would love to gift you a Bible but I want to just step into the story with you, starting at verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. In this first verse, I want you to catch this. No one, no one was expecting resurrection. Notice the women are bringing spices to finish the burial process. They were not bringing hallmark congratulations on your resurrection cards for Jesus, okay? And I want to, to, to push this forward and emphasize it because I don't want you to assume that those people back there were just incredulous and gullible and superstitious. In fact, I might argue if I had more time that it was more difficult for these women to believe in the resurrection of Jesus than it was for you and me today because they had actually watched him die. Everyone else left, and this gaggle of women stayed right there at the foot of the cross. Let's go on in verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with faces to the ground. Now, some of you already who may be on the outside looking in are saying, here we go, angels. See, we can't believe this stuff. But you should know that, that angels only show up in the, in the pregnant moments of history. So if you've never seen one, you should expect that. And most of the time when they show up in Scripture, what do they say? Do not be afraid. And these, these women right here, it says they were frightened. So this was a very unique, particular circumstance. And I would just say, if you're struggling with angels, beep, 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 back away from the angels. Because if God can become human and resurrect himself from the dead, we have bigger fish to fry than angels, okay? So let's go on. These angels, they say to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Now here is their contention. That Jesus 
is the resurrected God. Remember how he told you? In fact, no, they didn't at all. In fact, 12 times in the Gospels, Jesus kept telling his disciples, I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to die and rise again. No one believed them. No one heard him. Why? Well, it was virtually impossible to have this message sink in. Firstly, that Jesus would be God. Now, in a polytheistic culture, everything and everyone was a God. So that was no big deal. But in the Jewish religion... Every morning they prayed the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deeply monotheistic religion. There were all sorts of messiahs, for sure, but what happened to those messiahs? They died. Many of them were crucified, and when yours died, you would just go and find another one. But this one, while they were crucified as insurrectionists, this one was crucified as a blasphemer. This one rose from the dead, laying claim to his divinity, which brings me to the second reason it was virtually impossible for the disciples of Jesus to believe him and take him at his word. He was resurrected. He was resurrected. You see, in that day, Greek philosophy and Jewish theology were not expecting this. If you were Greek, you were a Platonist, which meant you were a dualist, which meant the body bad the soul good so when you died the soul escaped the prison house of the body for the soul to come back into the physical was a downgrade not an upgrade no one wanted this in jewish peoples uh, the sadducees didn't believe in resurrection but there was this thread of thought developing that there would be this grand cosmic resurrection of everyone at the end of time so back to your favorite artist in the little coffee shop this is more like Beyonce at Chase Arena, okay? You're buying tickets, you're anticipating this concert for months. But for Jesus to show up in the middle of history in a little side stage in a local pub, no one was expecting this resurrection 1.0. Yet, overnight, all these people started believing. In our vernacular, it would be like going to bed a Democrat and waking up a Republican, or going to bed a Republican and waking up a Democrat, and whichever one is better for you, I'll let you sort that out, right? N.T. <laughs> Wright spent 800 pages writing about the historical veracity of the resurrection. It's a beautiful book. If I could save you some time, I might just suggest he gets to the end of it and says, the most plausible explanation for the birth of the church and these people that started believing that Jesus was a resurrected God is that... Jesus was a resurrected God. No one was expecting it. Unbelievable, yet somehow true. Then they remembered his words. Let's go on. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. So beautiful that they mentioned these women by name, which would have been unheard of in that cultural context and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now Luke wrote this story down two generations after Jesus was around. And you may say at that point, well, see, this is how lie and falsehood just sort of creep in. But what you may not understand is in that day, the eyewitness testimony was much more credible than the written word. Why? Because most people in that context were illiterate. 
In fact, if you were to go home tonight after I spent 20 minutes talking to you today, in that day, in that context, with the mind that they had, you could speak back to me my talk verbatim, word for word, a 20-minute talk, even more. Why? Because the testimony of the eyewitness was credible, but when they started dying, Luke says for posterity, well, I've got to write this down. And I could imagine at this point Luke thinking, this is a PR fiasco, a public relations nightmare. So Luke hires a PR firm. The PR firm comes to him and says, hey, you know that part about the women Finding the tomb empty? Well, you know a woman's testimony isn't even admissible in a court of law, Luke. So you got to change that. you got to have the men there. And what's more, that's going to deliver you from the way you end the story. Remember all the men refusing to believe these women and, and dismissing their words as nonsense? Remember what, what Peter said to you that day? Well, this is the sort of thing I'd expect from a bunch of crazy women who have lost sleep. You think they're going to trust you guys as the apostles with a story like this? You need to spin it. It's a truly unbelievable story that written this way seems to be true. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So could I invite you to wonder with me for just a moment? Wonder into the big idea again, that question. If Jesus is the resurrected God, if you could come to believe that Jesus is the resurrected God, then how might your life change? Wherever you are on your faith journey, curious, skeptical, convinced, unconvinced, churched, unchurched, rechurched, dechurched. Take a moment, if you find yourself even particularly on the borderlines of faith, if you're just on the boundaries of faith, on the fringes, on the, just sort of looking in, take a moment to index the emotional responses that just came up in this passage as people responded to Jesus. Did you see them? Elation, relief, devotion, assurance. None of those things. Verse 4, perplexity. Verse 11, the women's description was met with cynicism and unbelief. In fact, if you are newish to the church, if you haven't been wrapped up in this story for 20 plus years, then the news of the resurrection of God would be completely surprising and unexpected to you. And I would encourage you to keep those feelings because that's precisely what the first Christians were feeling too. So I'd like to frame this up as we conclude this potential new change to your life under three headings. They're in your worship folder, faith, hope, and love. It's from another part of the scriptures where Paul writes that three things will remain forever, faith, hope, and love. They've been called for centuries the, the theological virtues because on them we can truly build a life. And so maybe you'll take your worship bulletin home and and sketch out some, some journal thoughts under each of those three, faith, hope, and love. But I want to conclude just imagining what it would be like to have a new faith, to have a new hope, to have a new love. Look at each just for a moment. Firstly, new faith. Uh, some of you would know that, that comedian Norm MacDonald uh, died this past year. And I miss him because he was one of the few comics, I would say, who didn't perform out of ill will or spite. 
In fact, there were many beautiful eulogies written about Norm, and I only read one of them, though, that pointed to his hard-fought and very sincere faith in God. And there's this one comedic riff where he asked the audience to consider life after death. And, and what follows, if you're into philosophy, is really more or less a restatement of Pascal's wager. Um, but I want to read this to you, and I wish I could do it in that deadpan Canadian crankiness that Norm MacDonald had, but you'll probably hear him in the backdrop as I'm reading it. But he says, there's only two things. You've got to look at the evidence that God exists. None. That's not good. Then you go, what's the evidence God does not exist? None. So they're equal. One of them is for sure, right? You just have to hazard a guess at that point. So what I do if I have two choices is I go, what do you got? The guy goes, when you die, you go up and play a harp on a cloud. Well, geez, I've always wanted to play a harp. What have you got? What happens when you die in your plan? They put dirt on you. So you go to the first guy. Well, well, let me ask you one more question. What else happens up there? Someone tells me you meet somebody or something. Yeah, you meet your loved ones. Your loved ones? Yeah, all of them. My dog Barky, Barky's going to be there. Barky, the one my dad said had a stupid name? Yeah, Barky will be there. So I go back to the other guy. In your plan, will Barky be there? No, just dirt. Stop saying dirt. Don't put dirt in your pamphlet. It doesn't really help your cause. I want you guys to do well, but, but nothing means all you do is get sick and die. Who wants that? J.R.R. Tolkien, who did not come by faith easily, in an essay on fairy tales, said it this way. He says, there are these indelible human longings that only fantasy, fairy tale, or sci-fi can really speak on. All human beings have fascination with this idea of escaping death, of being able to live long enough to achieve all of their artistic and creative dreams, of being able to find a love that perfectly heals. We have all these longings. Why? Because we are not created originally to die. Deep down, we all kind of know that if this is the way life ought to be, if the resurrection of Jesus happens, then these things are literally going to come true for us. That's a new faith. It's not certainty, but it's a confidence that eternally speaking, God's got this. What about secondly, a new hope? You know, we hear that word hope today and we immediately think of it in terms of wishful thinking. We say, well, I hope it all works out. But in the Christian story, hope doesn't just sprout wings and flies away. It's actually grounded in the belief that everything we experience in this life is not wasted. That everything gets redeemed into something beautiful. Even our deepest griefs and our biggest losses. You know, when a therapist works with someone who's a victim of trauma, they never say, hey, just forget about it. Instead, a therapist helps recontextualize and integrate that trauma into the life story. Never to be downplayed, but somehow redeemed. So, so get this. Stay with me for just a second. Uh, artist Makoto Fujimura, he talks about this Japanese tradition called kintsugi. Uh, 
And you'll see an example of it just behind me. It's the art of repairing broken pottery pieces with lacquer dusted with gold. So a dish breaks, what do you do? You don't throw it away, but you restore the piece in a way that makes the broken parts even more visually sophisticated. You embrace the brokenness to make a more beautiful and valuable piece of art. Fujimura says this about Kintsugi, it's through our brokenness that God's grace can shine through as in the gold that fills fissures. Jesus came not to fix us and not just to restore us, but to make us something new. See, that's a new hope, not just for the best, but a hope that nothing is wasted and everything matters in this life. It's redeemed for the next one. And then thirdly, a new love. You know, sometimes I think of life as a story of lost loves. The intimacy we experience with other human beings in any number of relationships, whether they be fraternal or familial or romantic, but then there's that severed break and the heartache that goes with it. And in your life, it's probably about that same time when someone quotes Alfred Lord Tennyson without even knowing that they do. It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And that's true. But you know what is more true? To be loved by a love that will never be lost. And to take that love and to love others with it in such a way that assumes your love for them will never break, but will grow and grow and grow and grow. If Jesus is the resurrected God, then you are invited into a new faith. Not certainty, but confidence, come what may, that God's got this. You are invited into a new hope that not one thing in your life will be wasted, but everything will be redeemed. And you're invited into a new love, an unbreakable love that God lavishes on you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.